0: Hello and welcome to Manageable Conversations, the podcast where we speak to leaders across industry sectors. In each episode, we discover what helped them in their career, how they stay sharp, and their tips for managers to get the best from their teams. I'm Farley Thomas, the co-founder of Manageable. We hope this podcast inspires you to be a great leader by learning from others
1: you can foster a culture where people feel comfortable telling you about problems sooner rather than later, then you can proactively manage rather than reactively firefight. It's a long term strategy rather than a quick win. But if you can do that, you'll find that there are fewer firefights. And instead, you have a much calmer ride.
0: That's Chris Rowley, CEO of Risk Advisory, the global risk management consultancy. In this episode, among other things, Chris talks about how he became CEO and ways he copes with the role, the importance of consistency in leadership, including having difficult conversations, why leaders would be mad to just rely on their instincts rather than seek help, the expectations of younger generations and the need for investment in people from the outset, and the value of agility and challenging the status quo within organisations. Chris, welcome to this episode of Manageable Conversations. Thank you so much for making the time. Not at all, Farley. It's great to be here. What comes to my mind as a question to kick us off is you've had quite a long stint in your firm. And for for whatever reason, I imagine that becoming CEO of a firm that you've sort of grown up in might require a different set of skills, maybe elbowing people out of the way, I don't know, rather than just being shipped in from outside where everybody sort of accepts that, okay, they've found a new CEO from outside the firm. I just wonder what your reflections on on that are. It's definitely not the sh- well. I mean, I would say this, but it's definitely
1: not the sharp elbows. I don't think that wasn't my route. If so, it took it took twenty years to get there. So they weren't sharp enough, I think. So as you say, I, I have been in the business a very long time. I'd worked elsewhere beforehand, um, but I've now, yeah, I guess I've I've been in. Risk advisory in one shape or another for 20 years, and some of it is obviously you know last person standing. So uh, I was the you know in some ways a kind of quite reluctant CEO. I hadn't I hadn't particularly aspired to have the role, but circumstances were such that it made sense for me to take over. When I did, I think I think that 20 year experience in the business is actually both a blessing and a curse. I know the business inside out. But I also probably have um, uh, have to check myself against a kind of normalcy bias because I've I've seen so many different cycles in the way that the business has worked that um, you know it's good to get other voices, people to challenge uh, your thinking about things.
0: What are your thoughts about your style as a leader? So I, I think it's a bit
1: like parenting, isn't it? So that you, I mean, I don't think managing people is like parenting, but but in some ways I think the kind of approach is quite similar. So you 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 know. You think that you're going to do things differently to the way that your uh, your parents or your prior managers or leaders uh, did. You think you'll correct every mistake that they made. So you go into it knowing exactly what you're not going to be. You know, you're really confident about I'm not going to do this. I'm not going to do that. I thought the way that so-and-so did X or managed whoever was terrible. And uh, I know exactly that I'm not going to do that. And then over time, you realize it's actually much easier to be on the sidelines and to be led or to be managed and to critique how others do that. And inevitably, you are influenced by the leaders that you've worked for in your career. I think that's true of everybody. And like everyone, I I think I've worked with some terrific leaders, people who really inspired me and who want who made me want to stay in the business for as long as I have. But I've also certainly before I got to Risk Advisory, should add that caveat, also worked with some really challenging leaders too. And you know, like all of us and I, th- I think you and I have spoken before about this, you remember the really terrible ones as well as you do mm. the great ones. And um I mean I I worked very early in my career with a with a hugely he, he was incredibly charismatic guy. Um, great to work for in some respects, but, you know, would, would disappear to the pub at lunchtime and come back in a very different state to the one he was in in the morning. So he was charming in the morning and foul in the afternoon. And, <laughs> you know, it's super difficult to work with people like that. I've worked with others who had a really blurred line between kind of personal and professional um, and besides being really appropriate, I've kind of seen the carnage that that creates in small teams of people. So in terms of what that prior experience has done for me, the number one thing I think you've got to be as a leader is a, a constant in people's lives. You've got to have a consistency of character and approach. The folks that are working with you need to be able to trust that there's no other agenda there, that you're doing the best you can. You might be making a hopeless job of it, of course, but but th- there's no uh they don't need to worry about whether they catch you in the morning or in the afternoon in a foul mood or in a good mood they need to have kind of consistency in leadership i think that's a that's a basic given and then besides knowing exactly what i didn't want to be i've also spent quite a long time learning about leadership seeing how other people do it i've had some coaching which i'm very happy to talk about uh, dare i say it, i've even read some books and And as a result of that, I I have a much clearer sense in my mind of how I want to lead, and I hope I'm more purposeful about the way that I go about it.
0: You, You talked about this consistency of leadership that's quite important, and I think you used the word being a constant. What toll does that take on you or leaders who follow your advice, do you think? That's an interesting question
1: in some ways, provided that you are quite a kind of consistent person, it doesn't take a huge toll in the sense that you're being yourself. And you've got to, I think, learn fairly early on as a leader that you cannot be all things to everyone. So, for example, in our business, uh, one of my youngest colleagues, I suppose, is in his very early 20s. He's came to us on a, an apprenticeship scheme. He did really well and he stayed on. So he's, I don't know, 21, 22. And then the oldest um I hope you won't mind me saying is is in his eighties he was the major general in the British Army and led at one stage a nato command in in the eastern met and those two people and everybody in between will have a view on leadership and what they want leaders to be, and they're very different and I think what you as the leader can do in that scenario you cannot be uh, you cannot keep kind of shifting shape to try and um adapt to what people's perceptions are of what a leader is. But you can be consistent and you can get the best results you can. You can listen to other people, other people's feedback on your leadership, as painful as it might sometimes be, and absorb what you think is, is relevant. Um, but in terms of a toll, I think leadership as a general rule does, does take a toll on people. I think it can be very tiring and
0: you, you need to be able to escape from it at the end of the day. And other things that you get up to that help you, you know, mitigate these stresses and strains and pressures of the role
1: definitely you've got to be quite self-aware to know when you're running hot uh, you know when you're a bit stressed and actively take steps to try and mitigate that for me um activities which are uh relaxing but completely absorbing like mm. i crave so you know i do quite a lot of fly fishing that you need to be alert enough to be wary that there might be a trout at the end of the line but you, you know it's not it's not Occupying any more headspace than that, and lots of different people have uh, clearly lots of different uh, cathartic um, hobbies and activities outside work, and I think they're absolutely crucial because the more stressed you get, clearly, eventually that'll have an impact within the business too.
0: You you referenced books. What book did you get quite a bit out of?
1: When I was at university, uh, one of my courses. It was at eight. I remember this very vividly. It was at eight o'clock on a on a Tuesday morning. Was the philosophy class um and you know one week you'd be looking at Karl Marx and you'd sort of totter back to your student digs and you'd say oh yeah that Marx chap he seemed to have it right and then two weeks later you would move on to Bentham or whoever it was and you think "Nah, no, actually I'm off Marx and I'm more on Bentham now and then you inevitably get to Hegel and nobody ever understands Hegel but but the point being that you kind of flip between you know, lots mm. of different influences, and for me, I remember I remember reading the book uh, Radical Candor and thinking, "Well, this is the answer." You know, you've got to just got to spill it all out. Um, and I think there's some truth to that. I mean, I do think it's a it's a consistent theme that uh, in management that one of the biggest problems is people not having difficult conversations. You've got to have difficult conversations in order mm. uh, to address uh, performance and and to drive performance in a business. Um, But I've since read lots of others. Is it uh, Lencioni with uh, the kind of five great traits, I think, of leaders or the dysfunctions of teams as well? And then, as I say, I've had coaching along the way and spoken to and in some cases kind of watched other CEOs and the way that they lead businesses. See, It strikes me that when lots of people, when they get to the position that they're invited to become CEO, it's the most senior job in your organization you would be absolutely mad to approach that and just think yeah I think I'll probably do that on instinct actually yeah I don't don't think I really need any training I'll wing it Mm. and I think it's Mm. just I mean you must see this loads in your line of work that people trust those instincts I'm not saying there isn't a place for instincts in the way that you manage. if you've done 20 years 10 years 20 years whatever it is your instincts are probably pretty good but to rely on them in a brand Mm. new job where You know, the buck stops with you. Seems to me to be
0: madness. Yes, well, I definitely agree with you, Chris. Hoovering up all the help you can get, I think, helps helps enormously. Yeah. Um. And some of that help is, you know, you don't have to,
1: by all means, go and spend thousands and go to business schools or hire the very best coaches or whatever. But actually, some of it, if if you're working, if you're the CEO of an organization that doesn't have buckets of cash to spend at this stuff, there's loads of free resources and. you know, on the whole, every business will have, you'll have clients or suppliers, and you'll be able to, you know, informally or formally speak to other leaders of businesses and find out, you know, how they go about things. And the more voices you hear, the better, I think.
0: And does some of what you're saying, Chris, apply to leaders of teams, as well as organizations? Because it seems as if, managers themselves are expected overnight to go from great individual contributors to suddenly being conductors of a small orchestra, if you will.
1: Yeah. Anyone who's worked in professional services over the last 20 or 30 years will have had broadly, I think, the same experience. You correct me if I'm wrong, Farley, but essentially the the model went, you you work your tail off in the hope that you get noticed. You work every hour that that God sends. And uh, essentially at the end, if you're any good and you get a lucky break, some senior partner will notice you, take you under their wing, champion your career, start letting you speak to some of their clients until you too become a partner. And then the cycle repeats itself. And I can kind of completely understand why folks don't think that's a particularly inspiring path. And nor does it, nor does it account for the fact that at some point, yeah, as you say, you're going to have to start managing people. And you're completely unprepared for that, really. Mm. Uh, you're a really mm. strong practitioner that's a very different thing, and I think for too many years people have sort of sat back and thought, "Well, he or she is really good at their job. They'll figure out the management bit along the way. Let's let them have a go." I think instead you've got to you've got to invest in those folks' development really from the get-go. You've got to show them what success looks like, give them a chance to succeed at it too, appraise them properly with meaningful feedback, um, show them where they need to improve in order to progress. Um, And give them the tools and the training to do so. And, and frankly, this is the sort of unpalatable bit of it, be clear with them, if the chances of succeeding in in your business look remote, and they might be better served doing that elsewhere, people need to be uh, motivated. And it's a bit of a broad term, but they need to be happy in what they're doing. And if they're not, they probably won't deliver their best work. And if that happens to be at your organization, you should have the honest conversation and say, look, Mm. you don't seem to be very happy. We're not very happy with how this is going. Let's have a think about how we can make this better. And I think if you do all of that, particularly focusing on people's management skills, you're paving the way for a better crop of, you know, in sort of professional services speak, senior associates who will then go on to be better partners when their time comes too. And I, I do think this is in part being driven, you know, the, the the millennials and the Gen Zs, you know, they might be onto something in in what their expectations are um, around, around work. I don't think that model I described to you of, of working your tail off and hoping that you get noticed, I can completely understand why they, you know, they want more clarity, they want more, uh, a path to progress. And they, you know, they may or may not want a better work-life balance. Those are all reasonable things, I think. So, yeah, mm. I've, got, I've I've got quite a lot of sympathy with with where they're coming from on that. So, long story short, yes, I do think it it translates into management of teams too. And I think if there's one thing, I suppose that I'm most proud of in the time that I've been leading risk advisory, it's investing in that. Career development piece. So we we appointed a new head of learning and development specifically in order to make sure that we had, you know, a career framework for every single position in the business that we were committed to providing training so that people could see their progression up through the through the company. And as a result, you have a much stronger senior team around you. I mean, my style is not, I don't like a a big hierarchy. I don't think it's necessary, it doesn't suit my way of leading. What I want is a really committed, capable group of senior managers who feel empowered to make decisions and who are prepared to be critical and to challenge the status quo. And I I think we're a lot closer to having that than we were when I started. And I'm really, really pleased with it.
0: I was anyway going to ask you about things you're proud of having achieved. And you've just covered that off, Chris. But for balance, what about stuff that you thought you'd be championing or brilliant at as a leader of the business, that with the benefit of hindsight, you, you either realize you were no good at it, or you're just disappointed <laughs> you haven't got round to it. It's quite a
1: long list, that, Farley. <laughs> Before I moved back to London and took over the CEO job, I ran our US business in Washington. In that role, it was much easier to be able to kind of be all over absolutely everything. So you could be in, you could be one minute getting involved in the tradecraft, taking calls from clients, managing sources out in the field, whatever it was, you could, you know, in that kind of small team, you could do that. And again, go back to that sort of professional service model, you know, younger folks around you would sort of pick it up from you. And I sort of thought being CEO would be an extension of that. Probably my biggest realization is that it's actually quite difficult up there on the bridge of the ship to control everything that's going on below decks you can't just do it by kind of force of personality um Mm. not not least because a lot of you know in a reasonably large ships company some people aren't going to have that kind of interaction with you. you need really capable people running the engine room running god knows you know what other parts of the ship need need managing and so it was a very kind of quite a steep learning curve for me that you you know we've got to get very quickly a group of really capable managers and and then encourage them to manage and, and don't get in their way
0: trust them trust them to make good decisions and let them get on with it chris you, your business is in the business of helping others make better decisions risk management but but also people risk how much of the advice that is so highly sought after do you and your colleagues apply to risk advisory itself You've you've hit on something there because
1: that probably is the most relevant part of what we do that then is also translatable to our own business. And uh, it's particularly around the kind of, you know, so some of the time, some of what we do is helping organizations to gather intelligence into, for example, private equity company about to invest in a business. And you want to understand the dynamics between the, the management team. We do that stuff every day and inevitably when it comes to our own hiring we we do what lots of people do which is rely much more on instinct and impressions of people during an interview rather than meticulous mm. research i mean having said that ours is a pretty small industry and certainly if you're if you're taking uh, somebody on who who has any kind of presence in the in the sector then you know we it's pretty gossipy and and small and you can usually do your homework on them but i'd say that's probably the area where um you know like everyone we sometimes get it wrong and when we get it wrong and we look at why we get it wrong it's usually lack of um not enough due diligence done at the at the front
0: end yes and and earlier on chris you were pleased with yourself for having invested in you know the the, the sort of career development piece yeah and again I, i'm i'm speculating wildly here but that that might be you nobly wanting to help others in the firm what about your own career development? You know, what 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 sorts of things are on the horizon for you? And I and I and I'm not just talking about the next job, but what what areas are you looking to enhance? Stuff that you might want to learn, assuming you're not the finished article.
1: Definitely not the not the finished article. Um, I mean, I'm still, despite having been in the business for twenty years, I've only been in the job for two years, and during that time, we've been firefighting our way out of the pandemic. Um, Mm. And obviously, uh, Russia, Ukraine has an impact um, and uh, sort of troubled economic uh, outlook, too. I'd quite like a period just of calm to to properly Mm. manage the business and grow the business. But I mean, I, I do think it's the job of every leader to prepare other people for the time when they step away. And if you think about Manchester United, I'm not a Manchester United supporter at all, but Alex Ferguson great manager won just about everything there was under the sun but was he a great leader in the sense that when he left they you know they're still in turmoil now and I think he left 10 years or so ago if you mm. don't prepare enough people around you then you're not going to leave any kind of legacy at all because it's going to you know everybody's going to tie themselves up in knots afterwards um with the sort of succession issue so I do think mm. some of it is I'm, you know, I genuinely think the job is more interesting when you empower other people to make decisions for themselves. It's what they want in their own careers. But you're also um, preparing for the time when you go and do something else. And um, that's true in my case, too. Although I suspect that what I would want to do next will be very, very different.
0: You've piqued my curiosity now, Chris. <laughs> well, well <laughs> I mean, I, I think I think the ship has sailed
1: on my own football playing career. Uh, But if Plymouth (laughs) Argyle were to ring up and say, you know, we're looking for a sort of slightly overweight, um, aging striker, then I'd answer that call in a heartbeat. No, I'd like to go and pursue a variety of different things with the with the experience I've gained from from Risk Advisory, rather than going somewhere else and working full time for a stint, I'd like to do a variety of different things, including some non profit stuff as well. But mm-hmm. I should reiterate, just in case uh, any shareholders listening, absolutely committed to Risk Advisory in the short term. Uh, lots of growth to come, and
0: and you know, super exciting time. And and organisationally, Chris, looking ahead, are there specific culture related topics that you're minded to kind of resolve or tackle or improve somehow
1: I, I guess like lots of professional services you know this is a this is definitely a sort of disruptive period uh in history i think the the sort of i, I know everybody's talking about it in the morning at the moment and it's it's um it can get a bit tiresome but ai is increasingly playing a role in our sector and exactly where it'll end uh i don't think anybody knows but in order to be able to react to that, you've got to have agility in your in your team. Your culture has to be one, I think, which focuses people's minds on uh, challenging the status quo. It cannot be, yep, let's just keep doing what we've been doing for the last thirty years, and in, in a, we'll still be. A, I think there's a good chance you wouldn't be around if you did that in the next ten or twenty years. The pace of change is so quick, and mm. so you've got to inculcate in the in the people in your business a willingness to speak up and to say, I don't think that's right. Or have you thought about this? And don't get me wrong. I'm not claiming we're perfect at that, but it's a work in progress. And I'm pleased with how it's going. And in order to get to that point, I think there is, you know, the sort of 70s or 80s leader would have an opinion on absolutely everything. You know, who was getting promoted, what the sales strategy should be, what brand of coffee you should have in the staff canteen, that sort of thing. I don't think that fulfills the objective of creating an agile workforce. If nobody's used to having to make a decision or nobody's felt failure and it's all been kind of tied up in this sort of Maharaja style boss, then you're wholly ill-equipped to deal with what's going on out there in the market. You need people who are, as I say, agile enough, vocal enough to speak up and to, to change course if we need to change
0: course. A parting question, if I may... Any tips, the top of mind for new managers? I think kind of top of
1: mind, fundamentally most things are fixable, especially if you can get to them soon enough. A grumpy client or a you know, project that's not going particularly well, or a colleague who's a bit fed up, or a bumpy sales line. If you can foster a culture where people feel comfortable telling you about problems sooner rather than later, then you can proactively manage Rather than reactively firefight, it's a long-term strategy rather than a quick win. But if you can do Mm. that, you'll find that there are fewer firefights and instead you know have a much calmer ride. I think in terms of quick wins, decisions that you can make quickly, take them quickly. Nobody wants uh, leaders to linger on on small decisions. Those that you can't or that you want more information on, it's okay to say I don't know. Give me a bit of time. I'll go away and have a think about this. If you're a manager of managers let the manager manage. (laughs) There's nothing worse than, I don't know why I'm obsessed with these maritime analogies, but there's nothing worse than a ship's captain sort of coming down from the bridge, descending several flights of stairs and and telling the chief engineer what he should be doing with the engine room. You know, let them get on with it. You probably chose them or at least you, you know, you've been involved in that decision. If you trust the manager, let them manage. And I guess the final one, unless you're a miracle worker, there'll always be are you familiar with this term bmw BMWing, bitching moaning and yes, whinging yes, That's, yes it's going to be a bit of that we all did it when we were more junior in the organization some of us still do it if you get wind of that try not to take it personally yes if it gets a bit too noisy address it but otherwise don't sweat the small stuff there'll always be a bit of it you're never going to please everybody all of the time it's good advice
0: chris I wanted to thank you very much for taking the time out. It's been great to talk to you. Not at
1: all. It's been an absolute pleasure and I love the podcast and uh, look forward to hearing more of them in the future.
0: If you enjoyed this manageable conversation, there are many other perspectives we offer our community of managers worldwide who coach and individuals from all walks of life who benefit from being coached. That's all from me. I'm Farley Thomas. Until next time.